Well, well, welcome to Between Sundays. I'm Barry, and today we're going to a wedding. Marin's here to tell us all about Jesus's first miracle. But before we bring out the good wine and sit under our favorite fig tree, now that she's back from making her kids aware that she's aware there's a problem, please welcome in our favorite wretch like me, Marin. Good day. Good day, Marin. <laughs> How are you? I am good. I'm good. I was a wretch, but no longer. <laughs> Yeah, we all were. We all were. Uh, yeah, it's good to see you. It's just the two of us today. It is. We are just going to figure this out as we go along. I think by the end of this, we should probably stop talking about figuring it out because after three months when people, Tyler gets back. Are we saying it at nausea? I don't know. I don't know. Do we even have any listeners anymore? We don't know. We do There's, actually. Oh, and really? I'm always surprised at who. Okay. The other day it was a staff member and oh. they were like, you know, you said it on the podcast. And I was like, oh, you, you listen? listen? <laughs> Amazing. It's always the reaction. Um, who else? Uh, who else? Lori Seiler, choreographer yeah. of the musical we've yeah. been working on. She made a podcast reference the other day and it's wow. the same reaction. Yeah. I'm all, I don't know why. I'm sorry, friend of the pod. I know you're out there, it's but just I'm always surprised that when anybody I find wants out to hear us talk. <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel. Well, well, it's good. It's good that all three of our fans or four of our fans are, are with us on this journey. There's so. also lots of people that used to listen and, and no longer because Tyler's gone or because I don't know what it is. Them. I don't know. But like, like, I think my husband used to listen like three times a week, uh, you okay. know, to yeah. the pod. And, and now he's like, Oh, I need to catch up. You know, people fall behind. Yeah. I feel like that <laughs> happens with podcasts. You go through like rhythms of life where like you get some new music. So that's what you right, listen in the car right. for a week. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh no, I've got three episodes of different podcasts to catch up on. And 100%. one of them slides off your radar. It, yeah, it happens. <laughs> it happens. So well, friend of the pod, if you're just now joining us after a, a season of missing us, we are still uh, waiting for Tyler to get back from his sabbatical. It is Marin and I, and we are we are making it happen. So, Marin, what's new in your life? What is new in my life? Happy Valentine's Day! I know oh, that yeah. that's not going to be relevant when this podcast is, is actually released. It is Valentine's Day. That is what's new in my life. I have two tickets to see. Um, a band, I think it's at the Vogue Theater tonight, but I also, it's like, it's basically tech week with the musical. Yeah, with the musical. And I feel like I cannot afford to miss any more rehearsals between yeah. now and the opening night of our musical. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of living in, in all these worlds right now, but the, <laughs> yeah. but the musical is taking the center stage. Ha yeah. ha ha. No good pun one. intended. That was, no, that was good. That was, that <laughs> no. was good. Yeah. So, so we're recording this in the podcast room, which has these giant windows that look out to the green room or yeah. what was formerly known as yeah. the green room, which is now known as it Little Mermaid Storage. Costume shop. There are costumes everywhere. This is kind of an exciting time because the props really start coming to life. But the whole um, thing, like the stage well, yeah. is turning into, it's like, it's all happening yeah. all really quickly. This weekend uh, was the first time that our congregation folks got to see yeah. at least the, the beginnings of what will be the set oh, yeah. um, of The Little Mermaid. And I keep calling it Mary Poppins and I'm going to struggle real hard <laughs> over the next couple of weeks. That is a different show. The Little Mary Mermaid of Poppins. There we go. Um, but no, it's, everything's coming together now. Props that were just, you know, formless blocks of foam a couple of weeks ago are yeah. now painted and they look like rocks and oh, yeah. it's all cool. It's cool stuff. That's awesome. It I, is. As, as little as I'm involved <laughs> with Little Mermaid, I feel like my life is also about Little Mermaid because Olivia is yes. just living and breathing the show. She made one, one of those rocks, yes, she did. <laughs> uh, labor of love. And she, she's also a, a mer sister in the show. Yes. So she is at all these rehearsals, having a ball. Uh, she's never done anything like it before, but is just having, you would never know. Time. You would never know that she has not done a full scale musical is before. It, well, I, I don't she know. I so good. I can only imagine what she's like at rehearsals. So yeah, I'm sure of the pod, you will see, you will see. <laughs> You know, you're good when you've got like very few lines, but you make every single one of them count. Yeah. Yeah. That's live. That that's is, live for you. That's what she's doing. Well, she's having a ball <laughs> and it's cool too, to see, we've talked about it already, but the, just the community that's forming among the cast and the crew and live and all of the, uh, the men that are working on the set, the set, she <laughs> yeah. started roping in some of the other, uh, gals on, yeah, on, I noticed on the, that. Uh, 
uh, cast. So that's been fun. It's, it's turning into a very intergenerational, uh, oh, completely. uh, building of the set, which is I cool. have two new adopted children in uh-huh. the show. Uh-huh. There is one scene where it's me and Miles Honeycutt and, um, another young girl. And we, we, all we have to do is walk across the bridge yeah. and we like stand on top of the bridge and pretend like we're fishing or something like that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. our little family unit <laughs> has like a deep backstory. We're so bonded. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. That's awesome. The other day, it was last Sunday. I think I had, I had led worship and it's always, it's very hard for me to make the transition from Sunday morning, uh-huh. which wraps up for me around 1230. Yeah. And then right into rehearsal, which starts at one. You got to switch gears a little bit from being pastor to being. Well, even just from being, hey, I was up at 515 putting a casserole in the (laughs) oven to, oh, my goodness, I'm facing a four hour rehearsal. Uh, Yeah, that's hard. But I walked out into the lobby and these two kids saw me and their eyes lit up and they waved me over to where they were. And it was like, boom, energy. I've got it. Like, it's. So life-giving to, so cool. to be part of this community. Well, I got a glimpse of you rehearsing uh, Kiss the Girl in <laughs> uh, in the lobby a few, I don't know, when last week at some point. And I have to give you props. Your facial expressions were really- Look, like, I really want him to kiss that girl because- You really that, did. I was we obvious. We could all go home early <laughs> if he would just kiss the girl. That's true. The story <laughs> would end right there. Um, no, but you're just like, I was. I was like, that is- I mean, what are you in that song? Do you know, are you a creature of some kind? Are you a tree? I think I am coral. You're a coral. Coral. Okay. I wanted to be a blade of grass (laughs) waving in the wind. Well, you're the most- I think I'm coral. Expressive, passionate coral imaginable in that song. So well done. I hope, can't wait to see the rest of the show. I can't believe, I think Amy said 12 rehearsals before- It's happening fast. Yeah. Yeah. Outrageous. I can't miss a single one. Well, might as well throw this in there, but- if you friend of the pod have not gotten tickets, it sounds like there's already been 6,000 sold. Wow. Is that right? It's something like a lot, wow. a lot, a lot. And so <laughs> there's still some left. I can't guarantee you're going to get the best seats at this point, but if you want to see the show, you really need to go to gracechurch.us slash theater and get your ticket. Get so, your ticket. Get it. So yeah. So that's what's going on with me. Yeah. There it is. What about uh, you, Barry? Well, what is going on with you? That's kind of what I was going to talk about. Cause I feel like it's <laughs> Did like, I steal your thunder? no, no, like, like Liv's just been coming home and we were mm. talking a lot about little mermaid and the rock. And I came and helped very briefly with the rock. So I, I put probably about 0.01% of the effort in to help. So I <laughs> got some skin in the game, but not much. Uh, so yeah, no, yeah. it's, that's pretty much it. It's exciting. How are things and at the farm? Things at the farm are cold and icy. Uh, but fine. The pigs are ready for spring. I'm ready for spring. Um, what do pigs eat in the winter? Well, they always have like morning and evening. They have like a, each one gets like a cup of these pellets. I mm-hmm. don't know. It's like, it's like a, a kibble kind of thing that dogs sure. eat, you know? I feel like we heard a lot about the abundance of Pumpkins. your like perma forest oh, yeah, yeah, garden. Yeah. Like when the weather was nicer, they were yeah. like feasting on everything. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. now I'm like, I wonder well, how they get through the cold they, winter months. Well, we... So two things, one, you know, whenever we see it, something on sale, like any produce on sale at the store, if, if it's like buy two, get one free squash or something, we'll always pick it up and that way we can give it to them. But we also get those big bags of carrots mm-hmm. and they love, they love munching on those carrots. So that's one thing we do. Also, it sounds like there is, a, there are occasionally some, some produce items at the care center that don't that are either too close to being expired to, to pass on to other mm-hmm. pantries or the, and they don't, they're not sold, so to speak at the care center pantry. And so a little uh, past their prime, a little bit past their prime, but still like fine, like edible. And so uh, we might actually start getting in the habit of picking some of those up All right. and taking those as, as our favor to the, uh, to the care center slash great way to give our pigs fresh How, stuff in like, the winter. Full circle. Would that be zero waste? <laughs> zero waste. If it can't go to, cause I, I don't, and I don't know if a lot of friends of the pod understand that we do have relationships with other pantries in the area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when we have a surplus or when we have leftovers, yeah. we give those leftovers to other pantries. So yeah, that's right. it really is like the gift that keeps on giving and giving and giving. Right. But when it absolutely cannot be, cannot given, be given right anymore, yeah. it can go to your pigs. And honestly, it's kind of like, if it's really fresh greens, it can go to the bunnies. If there's other stuff that the bunnies can't eat, the pigs can eat. And if the pigs won't take it, the chickens can eat it. And if not, it'll go in the compost. So that's the circle of life. That's it. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm getting real excited for the warmer weather and for the soil to start warming up so I can start planting some stuff. I've got some big plans for the year and knowing that I've got this sabbatical coming up, I don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing during my whole sabbatical, but I know I'm going to have quite a few days of just being out 
in the in the garden all day long. Farmer Barry. It's going to be really great. So I'm going to get a lot of progress on the farm Walking this year. in the garden in the cool of the day. My little mini Eden. That's the plan. So, <laughs> well, I don't know. That's all I got for you. This, this podcast keeps coming and my life's not that exciting. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like every week I'm like, what? What is there to even talk about? So, um, yeah. Why don't we just dive in? Do you think, do we have anything else we need to talk about? No? Mm, No. Any relevant announcements to be made? All right. Let's get into it. Let's go. So, Marin, you gave the message this weekend, which is why I'm doing the intro and everything. Which, by the way, is a huge relief. Thank you. I know you you enjoy it. You you. enjoy it. Let's see. Uh, (laughs) There it is. Nailed it. (laughs) No, the last couple of podcasts we've done, I've been in the driver's seat with all the sounds and having to write the intro. Gird your loins. Right. (laughs) It's a lot of work. now I can just chill. Yeah, just just relax, enjoy, and tell (laughs) us, Marin, what you preached about in case someone missed it or or just needs a little recap. What was your big idea? What were you, what were you preaching about? Um, So I was preaching out of primarily John chapter two, even though I cheated quite a bit and went back to Uh chapter one. (laughs) to tell the story of uh, Nathaniel. But no, this was the wedding at Cana. As you said in the intro, we're going to a wedding. Um, And really this was, as John says, the place where Jesus first revealed his glory by Mm. turning water into wine. And that for the disciples, this was the hour that that they believed. They believed when they saw him perform this miracle. Mm. Um, And so the big idea is just that Jesus is still revealing his glory today, um, he's still changing hearts and he gives us an invitation to, to simply believe, as you said last week, really the question of this entire book mm. of this entire provocative gospel is, yeah. do you believe yeah. John is wanting us to face that question? And so why would he include this story about water and wine and this wedding at Cana, which by the way, is only mentioned in John's gospel, right? What was his purpose of doing that other than to be provocative and present to us a moment? He called it a sign, something Mm -hmm. that corroborated Jesus is the son of God. Mm -hmm. Do you believe? Yeah. Great. So you started with the story of John Newton, the guy who wrote, uh, amazing grace. Why? Maybe I should ask this. When, did you realize that you were going to tell that story? Oh, the minute I got your sermon series really? overview. Really? The minute. So, Because I, I got to admit, I, thinking about the wedding at Cana, that would not have crossed my mind to talk about John huh. Newton. But what was it that made that connection for you? Yeah. Um, so friend of the pod, this is a... Uh, this is why you tune in. Okay. This is why you listen. <laughs> get the, you get a the world a, behind the sermon. Exactly. A, a peek behind the curtain, I guess, if you will. Barry writes uh, a general overview for all of the weeks of a sermon series. And then that goes out to a few people. It goes out to everyone who's going to be speaking during that series. And then it goes out to some other people on what we call a, a design team. People who are like, oh, you know what? This song would be good. Or, mm. hey, we should have a community event that supports the the sermon series or whatever. So right. a lot of us get to take a look at this. And so what you sent me said, Jesus turned water into wine. And then um, what's the part uh, in John's gospel, the very first miracle that Jesus performs is turning water into wine at a wedding feast. This miraculous sign mm. besides indicating Christ's power and authority also connects him to the fulfillment of the promise of abundance and plenty in store with the long awaited coming of God's kingdom. John indicates this as the moment when his disciples believed in him, do we? And I think just reading that line Mm. that you presented here, and I mean, you you give us a lot of leeway when you give us these sermon series. This is literally three sentences and I crafted a 40 minute sermon (laughs) based on your three sentences. But when I saw that line, John Mm. indicates this as the moment when his disciples believed in him. Mm. It took me to just that second verse of amazing grace, the hour I first believed. And so then, you know, usually after I get this sermon series overview from you, whenever I can, find the time I shut myself away in my office at home and just start digging and digging and researching. And that's the part I love the most. Me too. Just the gathering of information. I love that part. Um, It takes you places that you don't always expect. Like John Newton. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I think I wrote, I, I had written right next to week two, Jesus turns water into wine. I had written the hour I first believed amazing grace Mm -hmm. because that's the connection I made in my head, but I didn't know that I would use the story of Newton. Sure. I thought maybe we would just use amazing grace as a response yeah. to the message or something. Yeah. But 
digging into the story of John Newton just felt like I had to go in that direction. Um, not to mention the fact there's so much in there about race relations, frankly, mm, how yeah. he had been this horrific uh, monster of a person literally watching as men and women were mercilessly tortured, killed. Yeah, yeah. And he wrote about this. One of the craziest things in my digging was actually um, pulling up a copy of thoughts on the African slave trade. That he wrote? That he wrote. Interesting. Okay. And I found like a a, a, a pamphlet. It's a pamphlet basically, but you mm-hmm. could read it. And the things that he said, mm. the, the, the scenes and the images, the things that he described are so graphic and so horrible. Yeah. I could never have shared them on the weekend. Of course. Yeah. But in his own words, again, he is not being shy mm. about confessing his own wretchedness. Right. Um, and thinking about it being Black History Month and thinking about how somehow his song becomes an anthem mm. for African-Americans yeah. all over this country. It if that is not amazing grace, I really can't tell you what it is. Like yeah. that's, that's yeah. incredible. Um, and little known fact, of, I don't know if it's every denomination or if it's just one denomination. I think it's more than one denomination, but the second Sunday in February is reserved for racial reconciliation Sunday. Oh, Wow. That and a hundred thousand other tidbits (laughs) I could not fit into the message anywhere. At one point I ran this message through and I was over 40 minutes. Yeah. This was one of those things. I I know the, I know the feeling. It was like an overgrown bonsai tree (laughs) and I just kept trimming and trimming and trimming and trimming. But that was one of the things like, yeah, I could have said, but didn't. That's what this podcast is for. That's right. That's right. Wow. Well, it was, yeah, it was really interesting to, to compare compare that story of his transformation. And I love the fact that you pointed out the hour he first believed did not mean a complete turnaround. Mm. Like it took him years before he even realized or or was removed himself from that trade. Yeah. That was more before he became an abolitionist. That was sad and encouraging to hear. I think we want to hear like, and then the lightning crashed and the thunder rolled. And he freed everyone (laughs) that was in the, yeah. Right. We want to think that after that life changing Mm. conversion at sea, he changed his ways and saw the light and was yeah. a different person, yeah. but it's much more realistic than that. He had this initial moment of conversion at sea, yeah. but then, then God went to work on his heart. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and you could almost see, you know, there's a scripture that says we see through a glass dimly. Mm-hmm. You could almost get this picture that that moment at sea, that initial conversion was the moment his eyes first began to open yeah. and he sees things kind of through, through squinty eyes mm. and kind of cloudy. Mm. But the more he digs into the word and he talks about that, he talks about, you know, kind of committing himself to the study of God's word. Mm. The more he takes it in, the more he's transformed. Yeah. And then he could see, Oh my goodness, this is a hideous mess. And not only do I need to quit my association mm. with the slave trade. All of Britain needs to sure. stop doing this horrendous thing. And yes. ultimately he's successful mm. in really kind of spearheading a campaign um, to, to end the slave trade in Britain. Yeah. Many, many, many years before we ended ours here in the United States. Of course. Yes, of course. Ugh, I'm reading a book right now that it talks a lot about the African slave trade and I, yeah, so it's been on my mind a lot. It was really good timing for me to even just mm. reconsider or think about that and think about his, his own complicity in something as tragic and awful. Yeah. But 250 years of singing that yeah. anthem. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's truly amazing. And it's also interesting too, to think, as you pointed out that this is the hour his disciples first believed, mm-hmm. but they had a long way to go. They had a long journey. There was doubt to come. Yes. There was confusion to come. And I, I always wonder and we haven't really talked about this yet, but, uh, there, the, the phrase disciples, like Jesus's disciples, it's interchangeable between the 12 disciples and his right. bigger crowd of followers. Yeah. And it doesn't always, the, the, the gospel authors don't always distinguish which ones they're saying yes. when they say the disciples. So I wonder, was this when the 12 first mm-hmm. believed? Cause they were at the party. Is this when his group of followers first believed? Uh, yeah, th- yeah. It, there's a, a moment. I won't probably get into it in my message, but this happens. And then he goes to Jerusalem and clears the temple and it, there are people who want to, they, they put their trust in him, but it says that Jesus does not entrust himself to them Mm. because he knows what is in Mm -hmm. humans' hearts. Mm -hmm. And so in a sense, it's like, he's not ready to trust 
them yet because they've got room to grow. Sure. It's just so, it's just so interesting that it's not just a black and white, like light switch flips on and you're, yeah, which is, uh, that's another thing that got trimmed from this message. If you could have seen this message yeah. in the way that it sat like Wednesday of last week, yeah. there's so much more in there. I feel like people can kind of get this notion that the disciples, you know, we see them carved into cathedrals right, and right. they're like these saint-like figures. We literally call them Saint John yeah. and we we give them these titles, but disciple just means student. Right. And I loved, you know, the, the first and the second chapter of John, where he's talking about the, the calling kind of the acquisition, I guess, of these, of Mm -hmm. these early disciples, they were just looking for a rabbi, right? They were looking for a teacher to, to kind of glom on to, yeah, Yeah, they wanted to follow them around and learn. And so they're just, the word for disciple is just student. Mm. And so you're right. There's the distinct 12 disciples, yes. but then there's lots of other disciples and yeah. it's essentially all the same thing. We're just students. Yeah. It's not the 12 saints, right? It's the 12 students yeah. of Jesus. Yeah. That's good. Uh, so you talked about Nathaniel. You actually, before getting to the wedding in Cana, you talked about the story of Nathaniel. Sorry, Barry. I'm sorry. I had to. No, it's fine. <laughs> I'm curious what, what made you feel like that was an important thing to add? Cause his, his sort of story of belief is different in a sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah. maybe not. And I don't know. Talk to me about that. I think I've, I've told a few people who have talked to me about the message since yesterday. I've preached seven times now. Mm-hmm. This was the hardest one mm. by far, partly because my life is a musical, right? Now. <laughs> right. Um, and partly because this particular passage of scripture could go in any number of directions. Totally. We could talk about the joy and the abundance and the, yeah, just the, the, the abundance that God wants to bless us with Jesus, the way he blessed this couple, he, he desires to bless us. We can talk about the purification jars and how he changes the water to wine. And Mm. that's a symbol of his blood, which will ultimately purify all of mankind. Yeah. You could write a ton of different sermons in different directions based on this one thing, but I wanted to focus in on the question of whether or not we believe Mm. and that moment of initial belief, the hour I first believed. And so that's what brought me to Nathaniel. Mm -hmm. I felt like if I went straight to the wedding in Cana, we'd be missing another very significant moment of initial belief. Nathaniel reminds me a bit of doubting Thomas at the very end of John. You have this person hanging out under a fig tree, Mm -hmm. just living his life, and then his friend, I don't know if this, if Philip invited him, challenged him, sure. didn't really know which, which word to use because yeah. he, he tells you gotta his friend, go see this guy. yeah, just come see for yourself. Yeah. I, I feel like John makes this, this whole story so accessible, mm-hmm. you know, you read it and it's like playing out right in front of your right. mind's eye. You can right. see this whole thing going down and. Again, Nathaniel's remark about yeah. can anything good come from Nazareth? That doesn't need to be in the Bible, but it is. Yeah. And it's hilarious. I wonder, I wonder if there were people saying that after the fact, like, I wonder if as John writes this gospel, that that's a thing people say. And maybe even after the fact, people are still like, ah, Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. He came from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And so he puts yeah. it, he makes sure to highlight that, that, uh, that Nathaniel's saying that yeah. so that, you're, you're like, Oh, if, they, if that's something you're wondering, you're like, yeah, can anything good? And then boom, miracle, boom. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In a, in a earlier revision of this message, I went into this bit about how I grew up near the rougher parts of Northwest Indiana. Yeah. And so our version of Nazareth is Gary. Gary. Just Actually. flat out is. <laughs> can anything good from, come can from anything Gary? good come from Gary? Yeah. Yes. The Jackson five. I digress. <laughs> we all have a version of that. And that's yeah. why I, that's one of the reasons I wanted to include that in this message, because again, you can write in so many different directions. Sure. Um, can anything good come from Nazareth? He has this bias yeah. that is immediately changed upon meeting the person of Jesus. Sure. And it's because he was seen. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, we talk a lot. You actually talked last week about your Bible class for Bible skeptics. Yeah. This, this notion of of skepticism as a barrier to belief keeps mm-hmm. coming up over and over mm-hmm. again. And here you have a picture 
of a skeptic who comes to a moment of belief and why. Yeah. Because he feels seen Mm -hmm. and known. Now I may have heard this in some sermon a long time ago or something, but, but in my imagination, obviously John doesn't say anything. I think that Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree, I imagine that he was having a conversation with God about something particular in particular, mm-hmm. like it was a significant moment for him under that fig tree, maybe even like challenging God about something. Like, I don't know. I just imagine wow, there yeah, being like yeah, a conversation. Yeah. And then Jesus says, I saw, I you. saw you Oof. under that fig tree. And then it's like more than just good guess. Yeah. There's a lot of trees, you know, could have been like, I saw you under the acacia tree. <laughs> like, were you sitting under one of those? But yeah, it's like, no, the fig tree. And it, maybe it meant something really important to, yeah. to Nathaniel. Cause you think about that. And you're like, man, no wonder he's immediately like, you are. Yeah. The God, you are God. Like, right. Not just like I saw you eating that fig. Yeah. Right. Right. You Aren't took a bite great? out of the right side and then a bite out of the left side. I saw you. <laughs> I saw it. I was literally watching <laughs> <laughs> from across the valley. No, I think there's more. So I don't know. I, that's how I imagine it. It's, yeah. Regardless, it's cool to see someone who goes so quickly from skepticism to belief. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And to be the first one in John's gospel, sure. the first one to come to that belief, yeah. which is another reason why I included it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't say that Andrew immediately confessed, you are the son of God. It, sure. it doesn't say that of other disciples. It mm. says that of Nathaniel, who, by the way, scholars believe is Bartholomew. Oh, really? Yeah. So I, <laughs> again, I, I mentioned later in the message, I'm a, I, I was at one point a good church kid and I learned some song about the 12 disciples, like, there are 12 disciples. Jesus called to help them. And I like ran down the list and I'm like, mm-hmm. Nathaniel is not in the list. <laughs> right. He's not in there. Right. But they get to the very end of that song. Thaddeus, Simon, Judas and Bartholomew. Uh-huh. Nathaniel is believed to be Bartholomew. Well, that would explain. One in the same. That would be interesting. I guess he's referred to as Bartholomew in Matthew, Mark and Luke. Uh-huh. But because of his proximity to Philip, yeah. they believe it's a Nathaniel Bartholomew like dual name. Sure. Like synonymous Simon situation. Peter. Exactly. Like, like, like Simon uh, Peter. Yep. Uh, Matthew. Uh, what's shoot. What's his other name? Oh my gosh. Help me out. Uh, uh, oh. what? I got it. Here we go. Um, this is so sad. Oh. It is. That's the sound effect. <laughs> but you get, was, you get what I mean. And that's yeah. like, those are, those are those nerdy nuggets. Again, it's why you tune in listener to find out that Man, it is not like you and me to not know Bible <laughs> trivia. Oh my gosh. This is hurting his brain. If you could see the way he's uh, holding his right, right. eye right I'll now. It. I'll get it. Uh, it's, it's, anyway, it'll come back to me in a moment. So, um, all right. So let's, let's talk about Levi. Hey! Levi. Thank you, Ashleen. Ashleen is oh, here guys. Goodness. Thank you. Like, I knew it. I knew it in my soul. I forgot it in my head. Uh, so let's talk about this wedding, this yeah. ancient wedding. Um, there were times uh, when I, you know, over the years, I've been to a lot of weddings when I wish I could have sued them is for the dry right? chicken Woo! that I was given. My in my. That. Uh, is it true? Like, where did you come across that idea that people could actually sue if the wedding didn't live up to expectations? That is so interesting to me. I hadn't heard that. Excellent Excellent question. Why did I close that tab? Um, no, somebody else actually um, emailed me asking me the same question because yeah. they found that part interesting. Yeah. Um, trying to look it up because I sent the actual name to this uh, woman earlier today. Uh, okay, here it is. It's from the commentary, the New International Commentary on the New Testament. I caught. By Leon Morris. So that, I mean, and I'd come across it in a few other like websites when I'm mm-hmm. developing a message, it, um, my entire uh, production staff makes fun of me because I have about 85 <laughs> to a hundred tabs open at once. Yeah. And yeah. I know what they mean. Yeah. This is that website that tells me this, this is Bible gateway. This is Bible hub. Like here's the, yeah, whatever. I, I have a million tabs open. So yeah. I had seen it in some resources that I found online about mm-hmm. the, the tradition of hospitality about the requirements of the bride's family, the requirements of the bridegroom's family. Yes. Um, and that commentary in particular, which I raided from Tim's office. Yes. It's a good um, one. That's what I've been using a lot. Yeah. It, it, it mentioned very specifically the fact that there were certain standards that needed to be upheld by the yeah. bridegroom's family. And if they did not meet the standards, they could be sued. I also read, I think it was in that commentary 
One of the reasons for having such large and lavish ceremonies, wedding ceremonies, sure. was to actually be able to prove that a couple was indeed married and that there's mm. record of the size of the celebration being used in litigation as, again, proving, no, they actually were married. Remember, you were all there. We had this huge yeah. ceremony. Remember? Yeah. yeah. So it was, again, a fun, nerdy deep dive to try to figure out, yeah. to kind of put yourself into the scene. Mm. Um I think it was this commentary too. Um, I'm going to find this. I'm sorry for the awkward silence. I got that one. I got it. I got it. <laughs> uh, awkward silence. <laughs> Not very fast, but I've, I'm figuring it out. Yes. Okay. Here we go. Um, Okay. At the, okay. So they were betrothed to each other and a betrothal is not like our notion of engagement. It's much more serious than that. Right. And the bridegroom and his friends as part of this, again, week long ceremony of, yeah. of marriage, the bridegroom and his friends made their way in a procession to the bride's home. This was often done at night hmm. when there could be a spectacular torchlight procession. Mm-hmm. There were doubtless speeches and expressions of goodwill before the bride and groom went in procession to the groom's house where the wedding banquet was held. Hmm. And I read that because that totally illuminated uh, Matthew chapter five or 25, Matthew 25, I think it is. Yeah. The parable of the virgins yeah, and their lamps yeah. like waiting on the bridegroom. Yeah. I never really put together what that could have meant. Sure. And so reading about this processional, this wedding processional. That's like a part of the wedding itself. Yes. yes. And they didn't have enough oil in their lamps. Right. Like it. Yeah. So studying the wedding at Cana <laughs> yeah. brought the parable of the virgins into focus cool. for me. And again, rabbit trails upon rabbit trails. Yeah. I had to dig and, and find out about that. Rabbits but and camels. That was a very, very <laughs> long way of answering your question about how I got to the yeah. the the legal element right. of, of running out of wine. Right. But it but you also made a big point to to point out like there was a cultural there was a, a shame, honor and shame dynamic here too. Running out of wine at your wedding celebration would have been just the worst. Like that, you talk about like the memorable thing that, oh yeah, everybody remembers that yeah. wedding was awesome. We were all there, right? It, if you were all at the yes. wedding that, that there was no wine, then that becomes the definition, the defining moment of yes. your marriage. Like, yes. oh, there go John and Sue, <laughs> their, their wedding was the one with no wine. Remember that? Their oh. wedding was the one that made us sick. After we went to it and ate there, there, there is a wedding like that. Oh, I see. In, in my, <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the storied arc of my life, there yeah. is a wedding that shall forever be remembered as the one that made us sick. Yeah. Right. Right. Or I thought of like running out of wine at a wedding or running out of joy at a wedding. Have you ever been to a party where like the, the music just stops working and it's just so lame, just like, yeah. oh, oh. Or you get to like a party and like there's one slice of pizza left and there's like 40 <laughs> people who haven't eaten. Yeah, it's yes. right, right, right. And one of the commentaries, well, I think it was this commentary that I read, um, said that this could have been because this couple was poor or this family mm. was poor. And maybe they they had hoped that they would get by with what little wine they had. But for sure. whatever reason, they ran out. And so if that's true, if they were poor, then that ends up under dimension to Jesus's sure. compassion. Sure. Um, to make sure that this poor family was and not I, shamed. And man, immediately I'm, again, I'm, images are sparking in my mind from my time in like rural Kenya and India and places where just very different traditions when it comes to, to weddings and stuff. And I could even imagine, again, we're, we're adding stuff to scripture here, but I could imagine that if they, if this was a couple that was perhaps a little bit poor to bring in some of the stuff I talked about earlier about grace and honor, shame and stuff mm -hmm, for a few mm -hmm. weeks ago, you could imagine like, what if they invited like a local dignitary mm -hmm. person to be there. And so it's like everything hinges on this person having a great time. And it's yeah. just, you could build on all these different ideas of how, how deeply shameful it would have been for right. them to, and, and yet Jesus responds with compassion to them. I love how you pointed that out. Yeah. That's, well, not initially. Well, no, <laughs> his, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to that. But it's, it's, I just, it's interesting to think that ultimately what this act was is an act of not just right. party tricks, but an act of compassion. Yes. Yes. And that is important to point out. Um, another commentary source that I read talked about how this can look like such a frivolous miracle. Right. Um, you know, where in other places we see him healing the lame yeah. and bringing the dead back to life and yeah. providing, you know, 
food for legions of people. And this yeah. one, he provides more party wine. <laughs> right. And right. that's, and that's how he reveals his glory. Right. But it isn't about providing more party wine. It's about saving face. This couple yeah. does not have to live with shame and ridicule yeah. because he was merciful and yeah. showed them mercy. Yeah. I saw a skit at some point of someone pretending to, it was like Jesus and his disciples and they're like trying to get into a sporting event and they're like, Oh no, this is just water. It's just water. And they're all like, because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, because that's how we think of it. It's like, what a, what yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. goofy thing to do, but you're right. It, this is not frivolous. This is something right. much more, much more important. And I, I think I mentioned it like in my take on the, on the sort of series overview is like this, this idea of, of bringing wine and the celebration it is it's tied in with the idea of the feast of of the day of the lord mm-hmm. it's tied in with the kingdom of god and all jesus constantly uses parables of the great feast the wedding banquet like it's mm-hmm. it's this idea of celebration of fulfillment of everything and so right not is, to mention his wine is the best, the best wine, wine. Right. yeah right. yeah i imagine it would have been a nice petite syrah like <laughs> <laughs> i don't have any idea um okay so what would you do Marin, if your 18 year old son were to call you woman, if he were to say woman, fill in the blank. I don't know if I can, I thought this is a family show. I don't know if I could share that on the podcast, Barry, because you know, there's no telling. There's no telling when I fly off the handle, Lord that help was, us all. But it was, I think it was helpful to point out that Jesus, <laughs> Jesus was not being super disrespectful when he, when no, he says woman. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I had to look into that. Maybe it's because I am a woman and I'm like, wait, what woman, (laughs) my time has not yet come. Right. That does sound so harsh to us today in our cultural context. It just sounds horrible. Yeah. But every commentary I read and then going back and doing like a a word study myself, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's the same word that Jesus uses when he's on the cross mm. and he sees his mother and it's like, woman, behold your son. It, sure. it, when he says it on the qu- on the cross, we don't think like, yeah, he's not woman, being snarky. behold your son. Right. But when it's followed by my time is not yet come, <laughs> then sure, it, it does to, seem yeah, so yeah, snarky, yeah. but it wasn't that at all. Um, but I did say, I, I feel like it's significant that he did choose the word woman and not the word mother. Mm. Um, yeah. And so then it begged the question, why did mm-hmm. he think that she was maybe meddling in their affairs, especially mm-hmm. the way that she is so indirect when she tells him, yeah. you know, they ran out of wine. Right, like, right. I wonder how she said it. Yeah. Was she like panicked? Like they've run out of wine yeah. or was she just like sly about it? Uh, you know, like a little, yeah. little elbow jab, you know, the yeah. wine is gone. Hey, just thought you should know. Right, right, right. And if there's out. something that you could do. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so interesting. And it, and it, it also raises so many questions in my mind of the relationship between Jesus and his mother and mm-hmm. what she understood. Like, did she know that by saying that to him, she was saying, you need to start now, start the kingdom of God. Yep. <laughs> like yep. it needs to be, yep. it needs to arrive today. You're 30. Let's go. Yeah. And it, I don't know, but yeah, you're yeah. wait, 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 you're a grown up boy. There it is. <laughs> um, that one that I had to do that one. Well done. Thank well, you. Well timed. Yeah. It, it's just, it's just really an intriguing, an intriguing interaction. And I, I, th- I mean, John doesn't spell it out. He doesn't give us all the details behind Mm-mm. it, but what we do, what we see is that ultimately Jesus does, right. Does do it. He well, does, and there are some faith traditions, Catholics in particular, who would use this to point out, no, this is how much he reveres his mother. Oh, sure. This is, they, they would say that that's the reason why, um, I, uh, I might've told the story on the podcast before, but there was someone I was actually in a Bible study with in Chicago Hmm. who came from a Catholic background. And she was asking our whole Bible study group at one point, why we don't pray to Mary, I guess as, as Protestants. And she said in the thickest South side Chicago accent, one that I cannot even perform properly, (laughs) but she said, you know, you're going to get to heaven someday. And Jesus is going to look at you and he's going to say, you know, I got someone I want you to meet. Yeah. It's my ma. (laughs) (laughs) I will never, ever forget her take on the importance of mother Mary, but they would say, sure. That's why he did it. Cause his ma told him to. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Respect your parents or, uh, you know, honor your mother and father is a commandment that gets echoed even in the new Testament by Paul. I mean, it's, 
clearly it's some something important there. So maybe that is it. Maybe this was an act of honor to his to his mother to do it. Right. But yeah. I think it was all of the things. Um, again, he would not have wanted shame and right. ridicule as a guest of this wedding. Right. You know, um, and it was customary to bring gifts of wine. Right. Um, and so maybe that was his offering sure. that he could make to this couple. Mm. Jesus, you know, wasn't rolling in money. <laughs> <laughs> he I still, had no place to lay his head I, and one cloak. I still picture uh, after this whole thing happens, Mary corners Jesus afterwards and is like, I, I meant go down to the store. What, <laughs> this is, why would you think I meant turn the the washing to water? 180 <laughs> gallons of wine. That's going to be a great we, party. We don't know if he turned all of the water into wine, but <laughs> right. it is significant that John points out, look, yeah. this is how much they can hold. And he yeah. said, fill them to the brim. Yeah. To yeah. the brim. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so let's talk about, you pointed out something I, I wanted to dig into a little bit. You pointed out the, the contrast between Moses's first miracle mm-hmm. being turning the river Nile into blood, water into blood, which is judgment and death. And mm-hmm. Jesus's first miracle turning water into wine, which is, which is what salvation and life and party joy. joy. Do you, do you feel like that was a, is that an explicit, is, is John wanting us to see that connection or do you think it's more of just a subtle thing? Did it come to you or do you feel like it's kind of baked into the story? I'm curious. I don't know. I, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. We do see, again, you, you pointed this out very clearly last week. Mm-hmm. We do see, especially at the beginning of chapter one, how much he's referencing the old Testament. Yeah. And then he does go right into that part of Moses brought the law, Mm -hmm. but Jesus brought this, he brought joy, he brought life. And so I do wonder, would the reader have known, you know, of Moses's miracles Mm -hmm. and, and would, would they have gone back there in their minds as he is referencing Moses by name in chapter Mm -hmm. one Mm -hmm. of his gospel? Um, I don't know. I don't know if they would have known that. And I don't, I don't know, you know, on one hand, if he was doing this intentionally, maybe he would have said, and Moses turned water to blood, but right. Jesus turned water to wine. Right. Regardless. They don't always spell it out there. like that. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm completely convinced that they're almost never coincidences mm-hmm. in scripture. So I think it's definitely a connection on that was made at least for us to see yeah. and ponder and, and think about and chew yeah. on. Um, so yeah, I just found that really interesting. So you, you said this, and well, John says, this is the moment that the disciples believed. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a bit about that. Cause you, you, that began a section in your message where you talked about some of your own journey, mm-hmm. your own testimony uh, of your own journey to, to belief. Yeah. What is it about this, this, and you kind of already touched on it, but this, this moment of first belief that is so uh, important for us to think about. I think for some of us seasoned saints, uh-huh. it's good. It's good to go back to that moment of, of first love mm. or that moment of realizing how in need of a savior we were. Sure. We are. Sure. We were then we are now. Yeah. Um, for some of us who have been walking with Jesus for a while, we can develop, you know, whether we realize it or not, um, a pious outlook or some kind of pride in our own Mm. self-righteousness. You know, I've been walking with Jesus for so long. I haven't done fill in the blank since I was fill in the blank years old. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's very humbling to take ourselves back to the hour we first believed for Newton. I quoted him as, um, one of the things that he had said, I hope it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to mm. me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. He never wanted that to be far from his mind, even though he was that miserable wretch at the age of 23. Yeah. And he died at age 82. Yeah. Throughout that entire time, he, he wanted to be humiliated mm. as he reflected on where he had come mm. to where he now was and the grace that saved him. Sure. And so I feel like that's important for me. Um, it's important for, for all of us. Mm. Um, and some of us have come to that realization and some of us maybe haven't yet. Sure. Um, and you, you made a distinction that, that the hour of first belief, like you, 
said, I, I got saved so many times mm-hmm. when you're growing up and I can, I can relate yeah. to that. Like yeah. I Crying. had many, mm. you know, tearful, I don't know if I, I probably did an altar call or two, but there were definitely many moments where I was like, no, this time it's going to count. Yeah. This time I truly believe yes. and I'm so sorry for what I've done. And I used to go yeah. to sleep every night and apologize to God. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for the sins that I've done and the sins that I don't know that I've done. Like, and I would just, yeah. it was not a grace filled belief. It was a, it yeah. was a, a fearful sort of like, please don't punish me. I don't mm-hmm. want to go to hell. Like that was the way that I kind of thought about it. And I can remember the hour that I first believed in the sense of understanding what grace was. And I remember the hour I first believed that God had a purpose for me. And I remember the hour that I first, it's like, there's all these hours I first believed, even though technically I've been a Christian since I was three, you know? So I I resonated with your, your experience of that. Yeah. I feel like some of that, as I got older, I realized how much of that was tied to the denomination that I grew up in Mm. because I had other Christian friends as adults who grew up in different denominations who didn't beat themselves up and punish themselves as harshly every time they felt like they had sinned or slipped up. They went to their gracious father who offered them abundant forgiveness and they were able to kind of lift their head and keep moving through life. But I would just be like, swirling in this hole of despair. Like I, I I just did not, I didn't have grace for myself, Mm. um, ever Mm. growing up, not until late into my twenties when I realized the freedom that God's grace brings. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, some of the things that I said that his mercy was there and his abundant forgiveness was there, whether I was you know, polished and good yeah. or whether I was broken and wretched. Mm. Um, I really didn't make that connection until I had become broken and wretched yeah. before then. I knew that I knew the concept of it. Like I said, I knew it from a theological standpoint. Um, but I, I also mentioned something about the weight of his grace and mercy because mm. it really did feel like a shattering, mm. like a breaking in a good way, I guess you, you have to break chains to be free. Sure. You have to break shackles to be free. Mm-hmm. But there was like a, a shattering of this self-image that I had yeah. somehow built for yourself built for myself yeah. or it, it was a false image. Mm-hmm. And there was a shattering of that false image, like the shattering of a false idol. Yeah. And that was the hour I first fully understood. And the hour really that set me free and the hour when my lifetime of faith came into focus Mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh, Oh, Mm -hmm. this this is what it was about. And I I remember talking with my parents who had similar stories of, you know, when they came to such moments of grand revelation, the revelation of a lifetime. And they were just kind of like leaning back in their chairs, like laughing, like, yeah, 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 that's it. You get it now. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Watching you it. experience that. They're like, yep. Watching me be <laughs> shattered to bits. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah. But it was like this beautiful thing again from saints who had been walking this road a lot longer than I had watching me come to, um, the fullness of, I guess, and not, not like I'm like an expert on grace, but watching right. me really get it for the first time. Right. I think was a proud moment for them as yeah. painful of a moment as it was. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll never forget that. I'll oh. never forget that. And and it looks different for everyone. That was my moment. Yeah. But I do, I wished as I was writing this, I wished that there was a way to collect the stories of the people in our congregation. Yeah. Because I'm sure if we talked about that moment, again, it would be as varied mm. as the people themselves. Of course. When yeah. was the hour they first believed? And I did, I did receive a few emails, um, after giving the message and no one went into specifics about the hour they first believed, but Mm -hmm. they just wanted to tell me, yes, I remember. Mm -hmm. And thank you for bringing me to that moment of being able to remember. And I think again, I'm smiling right now. Like that was a horrible dark time. I was shattered (laughs) to bits, but I'm literally sitting here smiling because of how pivotal that was in my life. Sure, It allowed you to become the new person that you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, like the, the, 
I think I said it in my message, kind of clinging simultaneously to his promises. Mm -hmm. You said you would get me through this dark night. Yeah. You said you'd never leave my side. And so I am going to put a death hold on you. I'm going to hold on to you for dear life because you promised me you'd never leave me or forsake me. And yet at the same time, almost being like the word hilarious comes to mind, just laughing at the fact that he is offering me new life. Mm. I, I, I would have thought that my life was over, but no, my life was just beginning. And that is like that. That's the joy. That's filling the jars to the brim with some frivolous, extravagant miracle. That's what he was offering me. He was offering me abundant joy, Mm. even in the midst of my darkness and brokenness and tears. Wow. Well, I was going to ask, what kinds of responses you got? Cause I, but you already kind of answered that question. I I'm imagining there were quite a few people who heard parts of their own story and what you shared. You talked about, you know, you talked about grace and from your own brokenness, you talked about uh, healing in, in marriage. You mm-hmm. talked about the presence of, of Christ during your, your mother's passing. So I, I guarantee there were a lot of people who were like, yes, mm. yes, that's what I've experienced. Or maybe that's what I would like to experience, yes. but I haven't. Yes, absolutely. Yet. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I felt like it was important. You know, it's easy to say we see God in the wonders of nature, like mm-hmm. stand over the Grand Canyon and yeah. you'll, you'll see the glory. It's there. Yeah. But to say that I saw his glory in our darkest hours, because yeah. again, we're going off of what John said in chapter one, the darkness could not extinguish it. Yes. God's yeah. glory is there and the darkness could not extinguish it. What does that mean? Mm. What does that mean? I was telling somebody this afternoon who thanked me for the marriage part, by the way. Oh yeah. I was like, Oh, you heard that? (laughs) Hmm. Um, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Mm -hmm. If we don't say so, Mm -hmm. then what does it mean to have stories of, yeah, yeah. The light, it shines in the darkness. Sure. Sure. I don't want to tell you about it. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it shines. Yeah. Let, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Yeah. And if you have been redeemed, Again, my challenge was to myself. Who am I telling about it? Right. Am I like Philip? Am I telling people? Yeah. My marriage was restored and yours can be too. Yeah. Because the darkness could not overcome it. Yes, I've experienced grief and darkness and sadness Mm. and desperation. Again, we really wondered how we would survive as a family Mm. without the glue of the family. Sure. But his glory was there. It shined into our darkest hours and even into our deepest griefs. I'm challenging myself when I read his word. Can I say that that is true? Can I think of the most tragic situation and not say, well, there's a purpose for everything. I'm not saying that. But if God's glory cannot be overcome by the darkness, then can I see it Mm. even in dark? times. Yeah. And I can say in my life experience, yes, I can see it even in dark times. Mm. I loved the the quote from the band that shall remain nameless on purpose, only because I'm into some really weird music. And I feel like if you all I, listened to my music, I looked you would up think the song I was crazy. And I listened to it and I was like, oh, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Different. We're in, we're into some, you know, not K-Love stuff sometimes. And not because it's like got bad words. That's not it at all. Um, it's actually super deep and profound, but musically a little bit on the fringe, a little different, (laughs) a little different, but yeah. Uh, blind as I had become, I used to wonder where you are these days. I can't find where you're not. Mm. Is that true? Mm. Can I find a place that his glory cannot reach? Mm. Can I find a place so dark that his glory cannot shine? Sure. I don't think I can. Yeah. What, what, moved me as I, as I thought, I don't know if this was intentional, but as I kind of reflected on your last, let's say quarter of your message or last third of your message, uh, you at some point were quoting from John one, some of the stuff that we talked about last week, and you were just kind of quoting the passages without necessarily referencing them or putting them up on this, on the screen. You're quoting those song lyrics. You were speaking of your own journey. You were speaking of the wedding at Cana. It was this, this, uh, oh, and, and speaking of, of, John Newton's testimony mm. and and the, the lyrics from Amazing Grace and all of these different lines and phrases and key images and words kept kind of flowed together in my mind and what it what it ref, what I was reflecting on uh, about that is that it it to me reflects the fact that 
the grace of God is not an individualistic thing. It's not meant to be, oh, every individual has their own one-to-one encounter, but that's part of it. But what's even more beautiful is this tapestry of God's grace mm. and his redemption and his faithfulness for all who believe. And it's this community and this shared journey and story where, where yeah, it makes total sense for the words of the beginning of John's gospel to flow into amazing grace, to flow into this band that shall be renamed, that shall be <laughs> remain nameless, uh, that shall flow into your own testimony into mine. And it's, it's that just, that image has got so beautiful to me because the lyrics and the words and the scripture and the stories, it, it all, it's all pointing to the same mm-hmm. truth, the, this, this glorious grace of God that just so exceeds anything we can ask or imagine. So I, I was moved by that. I thought that mm-hmm. was really cool. And I, I will speak personally. I was got emotional as you were sharing your testimony, just because it's just beautiful to, to hear another person sharing how God has tra- transformed their lives. So I agree yeah. with you. I wish we could tell the story of every person here. And maybe, I mean, I don't know if there's a way to do it in a church our size, but I, I have been to churches where sharing your testimony was a part of the church service. Yeah. Everybody would get up and share what God did for them that week. And yeah. I mean, it's, we, we're not great at that in our, in this tradition, but it's something that is, I agree. It's important. Well, and it's something that struck me last week as I was kind of, I, I don't want to say leading worship because the kids were leading. It yeah. was a student led worship yeah. service, but I was on stage with them. Um, as, as really a shepherd, you know, mm. I was, I was helping to, to lead the students who led us yes. in worship. And as I looked out over the 200 students that were filling the bowl, mm-hmm. I felt the spirit speak to me in that moment. They're going to need to know your story. Mm. You, you have to lead from a place of raw honesty. Yeah. If you want them to know what hope looks like mm-hmm. and what, restoration looks like and what forgiveness looks like and what yeah. healing looks like. Yeah. You can say there's hope, there's restoration, there's forgiveness, there's healing. It's for you. Yeah. Or you can show them. Mm-hmm. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so he's leading me on a journey. Wow. Well, Maren, thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing. Thank you for bringing us such a unique perspective. Uh, I think my dad was reflecting just on some of your comments about about Mary and, and all that stuff. And he's like, I don't think I've ever heard a woman's perspective on that moment. <laughs> he told me that. Uh, yeah. Or a mother's perspective <laughs> on that moment. And I was like, yeah, I love it. I, love I, it. I have to say Jaden is a good sport. He was, he was cracking up. Yeah, he was. I pointed out to everyone at the 11 o'clock service that my son was sitting in the third row. <laughs> And he said he could feel every eye in the room. He said people sitting in front of him turned around turned all the way around yeah. just to look at him. And he buried his face in his hands and he was laughing. He's a good sport. Yeah. I knew he could handle it. Yeah. I could never do that to my daughter. She <laughs> would vaporize. She would, she, would, <laughs> she would cease to exist. Even so, like my son came up to me after service and he was like, good one, mom. Like he was laughing with yeah, me. Yeah. My daughter had practically crawled under her chair just because she was sitting in close proximity was- <laughs> to Jaden. So next time I need to make sure they're not sitting by each other. If, well, if they need any, uh, use any them tips as object on, lessons. on what it's like, I've, I've been there many, many times. So having the whole room looking at you, it's, it can be, it could be a lot. Well, he's kind of used to it because he's, you know, the yeah, worship leading, yeah, but drumming. It's different. I'm not talking about being up front. I'm talking <laughs> about being a pastor's kid where somehow inevitably a, uh, something comes up about your life. Oh my gosh, Barry. From the pulpit and everyone you, looks at you. You should send him a card or something. Just yeah. like, a, I've <laughs> been there, buddy. Yeah. It gets better. No, it doesn't. It gets worse because then people, everybody wants to know all your business. They want to know w- what's going on with school. What are you doing with life? It's like, I don't know you. I don't know you, but you sh- but I know you anyway. Yeah. Pastor's kid life, man. That's how it goes. Uh, okay. Well, thank you. I am going to be up next and I'm, Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Where are we going from here? Well, I mean, it's, I'm hosting, (laughs) so I could ask myself, but, um, so this coming week, we're, we're going to talk about probably the most famous Bible verse, at least the one that's got the most famous reference, John three 16. Not everybody knows it, but it's one that is very, very, very widely used. And, and I actually don't think I could be wrong. I don't think I've ever preached specifically on this particular passage before, which is crazy. What? I'm, I'm, I've referenced what it. Kind I've, of pastor are you? I, I know. I've never been to like John three in particular. I don't think maybe. I, uh, yeah. I don't know. All right. So it, I mean, cause yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. So, so here we are, we're doing it. We're going there. <laughs> I'm going to hold up a banner that says John, John 3, 316 in service. Yeah. Just for you. So I'm not mentioning this in the, uh, 
in the sermon, but apparently when you search like John three sixteen sign, I just wanted to see what images popped up. There's this very famous guy who used to wear like a, a clown yeah, wig. Bannerman. Yeah. So, you know, he's like serving multiple life sentences no! for some terrible Stop! things that he did. Yeah. Isn't that awful? No. <laughs> he became like, like well known for that thing. He would go to all these sporting events and no, he's, he's done some stuff. So oh, there it goes. My Christian Ooh, bubble bursting sorry, yet again. Sorry. Anyway, yet again. I'm not mentioning that in the message. <laughs> I don't think people need to hear that, but anyway, so we'll, we'll talk about John three sixteen and the verses that surround it. As you may uh, realize there are more verses to feed into that one than just the verse by itself. <laughs> Uh, so that's the plan for next week. Until then, Marin, will you send us out? I sure will. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And we will see you on the other side of Sunday. <laughs> <laughs>